the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Overnight, you're still in Australia for a short period of time. It's a shame there was no men's champion, but we have lots to talk about with the other events. Arena Savalanka, Rinky. Wait a minute. What do you mean? What do you mean there's no men's winner? <laughs> it's because you didn't get up and watch it? Uh, I just don't recognize the match that took place. I don't recognize it. So I instead wanted to talk about the things that I was excited about, which is pretty much everything else. That said, if you feel like you need, you, not me, but you need to have some commentary uh, on this, our Australia Open recap episode, then I, you know, I'm not going to stop you. Listen, here's the deal. Like, you got to give credit where it's credit is due. And the fact that Novak Djokovic and everyone's like, you know, who's the favorite? I'm like, are you guys smoking crack? I mean, there's only one favorite going to the Australian Open. I mean, let's face it. Like, the French Open is owned and will be owned by Rafael Nadal until he breaks a leg or, you know, has a hip operation, which, you know, it doesn't look good for him going into this year's French Open with what's going on. But, um, you know, Novak just came down here with such vengeance to win everything. Won Adelaide, won Melbourne again. Uh, his 10th Grand Slam title. It's it's unbelievable. The guy's a backboard. He doesn't miss a ball under pressure. I mean, two tie breaks that were just absolutely hellacious from uh, Stefano Tsitsipas when he had a chance to get back in the match, particularly the second set. I thought maybe if he wins the second set, we might have a match on our hands. It was like a football arena 
the entire match was crazy with the with the fans. The only thing I'll say about this Serbian fans is that I have been in the crowd at the Australian Open next to Serbian fans when he was playing, and it is not a fun environment. And I say that, and I don't want to take away like their enthusiasm for him, and I don't want to take away the enthusiasm for being there and paying money to 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 watch him play. But it's so loud and 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 it's every point and it's nonstop. And you know, um, it was when he played Andy Murray, and it was that time that Andy Murray was getting so pissed with them. But it's like, guys, like you have to understand, like I love the enthusiasm for your player. But you have to understand there's other people around you too that's just like, oh, just trying to enjoy a tennis match. Um, and then so that, that, that's the only one thing I want to say about it. I don't want to take away the fact that they love the guy and they support him. And he's, you know, going to go down as the greatest player of all time. This guy is going to win 27 or 28 Grand Slams. There's no doubt about it. Um, and he was just phenomenal last night under pressure. And you got to give credit where it's due. The guy just locks in and doesn't miss a ball under pressure and it's it's a it's an unbelievable thing to watch to be honest I totally think you're right I think a couple of things um I think part of the Serbian energy is this siege mentality and I think Mm. this idea that you're under siege your culture is under siege you're under attack you're surrounded by enemies you know it's a really useful motivator for yep. for Novak Djokovic and it has been for the better part of his career playing at least the first chunk of it while two other of the big three were dominant and he was sort of seen as the interloper right now there's no doubt yeah. his head-to-heads against both of those other guys was never particularly compelling to make the case that they could have held the candle to him just in terms of you know overall win overall success rate you know, but I think the siege mentality is also what makes so much of this so ugly with the father posing in the crowd with Putin f- and pro-war shirts, which is why everybody's talking about what a battle he's been through these last couple of years. Well, it's a battle that he created because he wouldn't follow the rules, right? Like, I don't have a lot to say about his tennis, which is unimpeachable. I mean, he was better than the field by several orders of magnitude, full stop, period. I didn't think Steph was going to give him a match. Steph didn't give him a match. I didn't wake up for it. And I don't love my matches, you know, lopsided and and non-compelling, which is what I find a lot of the times when um when there's not anybody who can really step to to Novak. But having done a couple of projects, notably a documentary film about the Serbian genocide against the Bosnians, the idea that the Serbian victim mentality has permeated into Novak Djokovic's narrative is something that I just yeah. wholly am not interested in as a as a dynamic in tennis so people can love him people can enjoy him and that's just not for me I also do think especially because we're gonna have I think you're right probably seven or you know maybe eight more slams uh that he can win in the next few years before age predictably will catch up with him you know I don't know that we want to think of the greatest of all time as the person who's won the most slams are they the greatest of all times at winning slams sure uh, are they the greatest of all time at winning all the tournaments? Mm. Maybe that's Martina Navratilova, who's won all three categories of tournaments by such a wide margin when that mattered more. You know, so for me, like the goat race, the slam race has never been that fun. And I don't particularly want to watch him catching up. But I was really disappointed in the men's side that nobody really could make it much of an effort. My guy, my pick, Sinner, didn't do much. Runa pulled out with an injury. 
Steph had an otherwise good tournament, but kind of couldn't get it done. Medvedev has completely disappeared. So it's sort of like the guys who have yeah. been able to push him didn't really show up to the tournament. And unless I'm missing somebody, I don't know. Well, of course, you're missing the guy that was ranked num- number one going into tournament, Alcaraz. I mean, of course, I think yeah. I think the only player that really can go toe to toe with Novak in in these situations, and it would have been, re- I've got to tell you, it would have been really great to see Alcaraz like at his very best at the Australian Open, because I think he has the chutzpah and the and the you know the cojones to yes. like go on the court with Novak and actually say. All right, bro. I know you're the best. I know you don't miss under pressure. I know all this other stuff. And I am useful and enthusiastic and I will bring it. I mean, it would have been nice to see someone like a Rune, for example, like get through and maybe test him at least in a set or two. Because these young guys like Rune and Alcaraz actually believe that they physically can match Novak now because of their youth and their enthusiasm and their and their ability to play tennis. I mean, look, those sure. two, those two guys in particular, really. I think Sinner will get there. I really believe that Sinner will win a Grand Slam in the next few years. I think he's so good. Uh, I think he's just got to get that mongrel, bit pissed off ed- attitude sometimes on the court because he's such a nice guy. So Yeah, you know, he did look a little, anyway. wilt, a little soft, but, I, but his game is totally there. And you're right, Alcaraz would have been an electrifying presence in the draw. And I think for yeah. me, I'm just, I've been so over the big three for so long that I'm, especially Novak, who's tennis, like I just don't enjoy. It's, 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 it's perfect. It's, it's very safe in terms of his percentages. It's extremely adaptable. He goes from offense to defense unimpeachably. It just doesn't really do much for me. And then you add on all the other malarkey with, you know, the unforced errors of all of his decisions and his coterie and his politics and all this stuff. And it's just like, oof, no, thanks. I will change the channel and watch all of the other amazing tennis, which we had so much of that it was so easy to ignore the men's snooze fest of a draw because after the first week and Andy Murray being out and Nadal being out and Bertini and the young guys not getting it done, the women, we didn't need a men's draw because the women brought it. They brought it, Renee. This was the final I wanted. This was the winner I chose, but the pathway that they both took to get there. You did pick Sabalenka. I picked her because I thought maybe it was her time And I am so delighted to have been right. And you know what? You want to know why I'm so delighted to have been right? Because now everybody with her batshit photo shoot poses on the gondola, her crazy hysterics, her just all of it, her joy, her drama has now been amplified to the rest of the world. And now everyone can join me in appreciating her. Because what I love about her is not only her fearless tennis. I love the fact that she is in a lot of ways, Yelena Yankovic's spiritual inheritor don't you think <laughs> with 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 a bigger game and a bigger serve um yes I, I do agree with that like yeah you're right like the sort of the edgy crazy sort of like here I am I'm gonna wear like I'm gonna be a model although I'm a tennis player I'm uh, I want to be yeah I mean she said it on the pod with me that she would like to do modeling and all this sort of stuff so she's embracing all this whatever comes with fame she loves every bit of it she's got the tiktok she's got the you know the instagram she's got the model poses she's i mean she's listen, posing in her I like chipow with the chinese swords her crazy photo shoot where she's on the gondola with her dog and she's in this pink and the heels and the stuff i mean if anybody uh, has not seen it who's listening to this do yourself a favor and google arena sabalenka australian open trophy shoot 
because the photo shoot from this, I'm thinking about having it commemorated in plates like they do with the royal wedding and you get China. The, like, I want this as, I want this around my house. I want a painting of this. It's so extra and nuts. And it's what I thought was in her heart all these years watching her play fearless, big, at times scary tennis. And I mean that in both ways, scary to be inside her head, but also maybe scary to be on the other side of the net. And hearing her on the podcast you did with her, she's just so much, she's so much of everything. And yeah, I love that. She's. I think the best word to describe her, as you just said, is extra. Um, she, I got to tell you, okay, so I want to go back to the match a little bit. Um, I sitting, as you know, courtside uh, covering the match for ESPN. And I said on a couple of occasions, and I remember in the third set, I sat there and I said, guys, I've sat here for many, many matches at the Australian Open. I've seen it all. I've seen the last decade plus final women's finals on that court and this is the biggest hitting match I've ever seen in my life and you know of course we had big hitters we had the Lenars who could you know pop the ball pretty good of course Kim Kleisters um, uh, Maria Sharapova's you know Azarenko had her very best um, but you know of course Serena and Venus and all these uh, Lindsay great Davenport and Capria Lindsay yeah. all of them but but for me sitting courtside I've seen the ones that I mentioned uh, win the tournament and and Oh my God. Like it was like the, both of them, Rybakina and Sabalenka, both of them just, if you laid the egg short in the court, it was crushed. It was scrambled egged in like one second. <laughs> they, they, there was nothing that you could do if the ball landed short. They just, there was no mercy. There was no, I'm cho- I'm going to choke this. I'm not, oh, I'm not going to hit it. They just like, eh, eh, see ball, hit ball. It was like, as our great friend, Mary Carrillo coined, and I used it on the coverage, big, babe tennis both of them at six foot tall Sabalenka I think six and 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 Rybakin is like feels like six one I mean they were just they, the start of the match was seven aces in the first two and a half days <laughs> I was yeah. we were like what are we watching fucking like Sampras and like uh you know Philip Roger Pusses or something yeah totally it was unbelievable they were clocking the ball 180 something k's you know which is almost 100 and you know, 15 to 20 miles an hour, that their ground strokes were heavier and harder than the average of Tsitsipas and Djokovic. We showed that stat. That's amazing. It was just such a and, – and, and, and the thing that I love, there was no choking. They just went for it from first point to last point, even the last point when Sabalenka finally, like after three – and I was sitting next to Barbara Shev. Oh, God, and those Laura, last couple <clears throat> serves with the double but, faults and everybody was on the edge of their seat knowing where she's been. But, but we're sitting there. I'm sitting literally courtside with Barbara Shett because she was covering it for Eurosport. Next to her was Laura Robson covering it for the World Feed and TA. And next to her was Casey Delacqua covering it for the Australian Network. And we're all looking at each other after the third match point loss. And we're all like, oh, my God, we're all starting to sweat because we've all been there, right? We've all been there in situations where we're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, you can't lose the match now, surely. You know, and we're all like, Can she, is she going to do it? Is she going to hold serve? And we we're all like pretty confident. We're like, yeah, yeah, she's going to do it. She's going to do it. And then she starts out the first, you know, I think Rabakina hit like a screaming winner on the first point. And we're like, oh, shit. You know, and then she gets the, the match points and loses the match points and can't get a first serve in under pressure. And we're like, oh, my God. We're all having, we're all in like hives started breaking out in all of us because we all felt, I mean, none of us has served for a Grand Slam singles title, uh, but we, we all know what it feels to have that moment of panic, like, oh, my God, it, I can't lose now. I've had match point on my serve. And then – and I'll tell you a funny story. So 
where we sit is right with the photographers. And every time she had a match point, there was a ball kid that would run on the other side. So they had one kid on one side, one kid on the other. And of course, all the photographers were yelling at the ball kid, ball kid, go to the other side, go to the other side. Cause they wanted like that clear shot for the, you know, the, the champion's pose. And, and every time on match point, ball kid in front of them and they were screaming and yelling. I've never heard any. It was so <laughs> hilarious. Right. <clears throat> and then sure enough, she gets to the fourth, I believe it was the fourth match point. And sure enough, the ball kid goes on the other side. So there's this clear shot. And I said to them all, guys and girls, get ready. And I also was filming the match point and I decided not to film the last one. I said to Bubsy, you film it and just send me the footage. And I said, this is it. You finally got your clear shot. She's going to win this point. Right. And, she, and sure enough, she did. But she hits the serve. It's perfect serve. Nails it down the tee. And Rabakina smashes it back on her weaker side on the forehand, hits the back of the line, and we're all like, oh, we thought it was going out. It, no call, because electronic line calling. And we're like, oh, my God, she makes the backhand. I don't know how she made that, that shot. Incredible that was incredible pickup. Incredible pickup. That was such, I mean, her strength is unbelievable. <clears throat> then Rabakina hits her predictable forehand cross court, and Sabs runs over and hits an amazing forehand cross court. She could have choked that forehand because of what, you know, transpired just before and the fact that she's probably thinking, you fucking kidding me? I've just played the best perfect serve. serve. Yeah, exactly. Everything, you know, and she hits a great, and then Rabakina misses the forehand and, it, you know, we saw the joy. And, she was you know, palpably said, joyous in a way that was so oh, wonderful to see. Caitlin, I said it on the, on the pod, I said it on the coverage. I finally got to be able to say it, you know, at some point and I said, this girl lost her father four years ago. You know, it was just about, not, not, not that, um, removed from when I did the podcast with her and her dad was a big influence in her tennis life he's the one that bought her the first racket and took her to her first tennis courts and was really her influence in getting into tennis and I thought when is that going that moment going to hit her that he's not there you know to to experience this and we saw it when she won the match and started crying and then when she walked towards her player box and she looked up and there's a great photo I believe it might be on her Instagram and she said she she didn't acknowledge him in the speech but she acknowledged him in her in her Instagram feed and said, my dad would have been really proud of me. And there was that moment when she's walking and she looks up to the sky and you know that she was thinking about her father in that moment. And everything she went through last year, she couldn't hit a serve in the court. She was serving underarm 12 months ago. And to step up there and serve for the match and win her first grandson title, it was just, uh, it was an, inc- I, I, I'm like still speechless 48 hours later. It was one of the best and most incredible performances I've ever seen in my life as a reporter, as a journalist, as a courtside person and as a tennis fan. And it was, I was so happy for her. Incredible. And Rabakina, give her her flowers, man. What an amazing match she played as well. Um, And, you know, she got screwed last year, not getting the points from Wimbledon. um, And now hopefully she's going to be seated where she's supposed to be seated because she's literally one of the top three players in the world. When we saw that matchup, and I think everybody who watched the tournament as closely as you and I did in terms of the field that these two had to go through to get oh, yeah. to the finals. I mean, it could not have been a higher caliber. Could not have been. Rabakina alone beat three former champions of the event. Uh, sorry, three former Grand Slam champions. And Sabalenka, you saw in that semifinal, even though Magda Lynette really only pushed her for a set, it was not an easy set. And that is the exact moment that four times she has wilted because with her great fearless 
sort of total id style play comes with an also like a, a submission baggage. to that id and the baggage that that her motions can seize her in a bad way too just the way that she can you know be in this like incredible headspace where she's fearless and hitting you know the biggest ballsiest shots you can imagine and so for me to see her relax her shoulders after that semi-final win you could see it she was mm. past that hurdle you could sort of what you were describing with her looking up to the sky when she won match point hitting that inside out forehand against Lynette, she pumped her fists and then let her shoulders relax because you could tell she has been carrying that because when she came onto the scene a couple of years ago, I remember you and I talked about her then, this was kind of when she was in the middle of her tear. Uh, it seemed inevitable that she would be raising so many Grand Slam trophies over her head. And then just kind of the mental blockage that kept her, and obviously uh, to your point about the serve, kept her from really being in that late stage of, of, of slam tournaments was really beautiful to see her process. And I think for me watching not only the pathways they took, the quality matches they had up to that point, the incredible tension in a good way, tension filled final that was just about who seized the point first to me, you could show that match to people who don't necessarily follow tennis and watch them be amazed by it. And that was on TV where your commentary was excellent. I thought the final commentary was unimpeachable. And in fact, I learned so much about why both of them were having a little harder time with their serves because they like to kick the ball out wide on the second serves, which goes into both of their strengths, which is their high backhands. So they were both limited on what they could do with the second serves. Like I, I really enjoyed mm. and kind of hung on a lot of the words that you guys were saying, which was so illuminating and I really feel like you could use that as a lesson in like, this is tennis at its finest. I would have loved to have been there just to understand how much abuse these tennis balls got because yeah. it looked unbelievably ferocious in a way that it exceeded my expectations and I had really high expectations. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877 351 0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.
you know, I, I was pulling for Azarenka to win, and there's for one one reason. I, w- I wanted to see a different matchup in the final. I wanted to see a player that could make a lot of balls and a player that would go for it. So I like the contrasting finals. I like the retrieving person that's not going to miss a lot against a big hitter. You know, the you know, I love when a, a, say a Sabalenka would play a Wozniacki, for example, because you're getting that contrast, and you're always going to get good points, for example, right? So I was a little bit like, oh, this is not this. We're not going to have a rally over two shots. This is going to be a bit, bit of a tough watch. I mean, I'll be, I'm, I'll admit it. That's kind of what I was thinking. And then the first couple of games, I was like, oh no, oh this is just going to be freaking. This is going to be like, I said it, big babe tennis. They're just going to clock the ball, and this is going to be who's going to be standing at the end. And it was, it's exactly what it was. And I have to just refer to two things. One. Sabalenka hit the scene really a, a bunch of years ago, and the biggest match that she played, the first really big match she played, was on Rod Laver against Ash Barty about five years ago. And she it was when Ash was making her comeback, and she played against Sabalenka, and Sabalenka had this you know enormous grunt, and it was a bit over the top, and she was, you know, like she's now, but even worse, like really crazy and screaming and yelling and carrying on like a bit of a pork chop, and the crowd, <laughs> and I was courtside for uh, seven, the Seven Network in Australia. And the crowd were relentless against her. Relent, like kind of, you know, mimicking the grunt and, you know, kind of giving her a hard time. It was a bit embarrassing as an Australian. I was like, come on, guys. I mean, she's just a tennis player. She was probably like 17 at the time, like, or 18. And it was just a lot. And they gave her a lot of shit. And Ash sort of said something about it in the post-match interview that I did with her where, you know, so so I felt really badly for her. But that was her first real big match. And you know, come to think of it, like, what is it, five years later, whenever it was, she ends up winning the tournament with, with great support. Two, the crowd was so interesting because they didn't really have a, a favourite to pull for because they kind of were just, like, enjoying it. And it was so nice to actually sit there, particularly after the year before watching, you know, Ash Barty play Danielle Collins, where it was like Ash would win a point. It was like ma- major clapping and cheering and just over-the-top support, which look, she's an Aussie trying to win the Australian Open for the first time in 100 years, right? Not 100 years, but a long time. And then Daniel Collins would play the most amazing point. It was like crickets. Yeah. It was like seven people clapping for her in a box. So it was like this really weird, you know, like cheering, no cheering, cheering, no cheering. And then so on in the final, it was like every point was cheered That's because they awesome. were so enamoured with how good the tennis was from both of them. Like, honestly, that you there was no who's pulling for who, even in the last game. I mean, everyone felt sorry for Sabalenka at some point, probably thinking hopefully she wins. But the flip side was they wanted more of the tennis. Yeah, the tennis so it was, was such so an good. enjoyable. Yeah. And the last thing I want to say, the first point of the match, she steps up to the line, she wins the toss, she says, I'm going to serve. Right? Think about this. This girl could not hit a serve in the court 12 months ago. She goes up to the line. She's pl- pl- served so well the whole tournament, double fault. And the whole crowd, literally, Caitlin, it was just this, you know, 15,000 people just go, Oh, and it was so funny. And she turns around, God love her, and gets the ball and starts laughing because she's just like, oh, my God, what a way to start the final way to go, Arena, kind of attitude, you know? Yeah. And then she gets the ball, steps up to the line and goes bang with an ace. Like you just – and then I think she aced like two or three times in that game. And and, and I said on coverage, and we were talking about maybe is it going to come back to Horner, and I said – 
and I know she double folded a bunch, but I think it was because she was trying not to hit that kick serve and totally. was trying to go for a little it bit more. It didn't look like a problem kick serve. It looked like no, she had to not. go for a lot because she knew the return was going to be so good, which is a totally different it, thing. And I know we keep harping on this, but for anybody who has not played competitive level tennis, having the yips on any one of your shots is a nightmare. It's a living nightmare. Having the yips on your serve is hard to describe the depths of mental anguish that it is, especially if it is your weapon as it yep. is for Arena Sabalenka, as it was for you. And honestly, as it was for me, not being able to serve, not being able to know that you're going to go up there and at least be able to get it in and have a slow decline of just fault after fault with the serve taking an adventure is, it's gut-wrenching in a almost literal sense. And it's hard oh, to no, imagine I, coming I, back from that in any way, much less the way she has done. I had nightmares. I, I didn't have the yips on my on my swing. I had the yips a little bit on my ball toss for a period of time. And and I can tell you the night before my Wimbledon, first Wimbledon final, I was having nightmares about it, like that I wasn't going to be able to get a serve in on my, you know, in center court at Wimbledon. I managed to do it. I was fine. But you, you got to fight through those things. So, yeah, it's pretty incredible to, to, to what she's been able to do and in, but one thing, sitting beside Barbara Shett, and, you know, we share information sometimes when we're sitting there with each other because we're, you know, both so tennis orientated and we're, we're true analysts. She said, you know what, the good thing about her serve being so shit, um, you know, and so unpredictable last year is it made her a better player because she couldn't rely on the free points yeah. on her serve. So it actually made her play better tennis from the baseline. And and I was like, you know what, you're right. And, and that is That's so a good true. Point. So, yeah, I mean, she still yeah. finished top five in the in the world and made the tour finals, despite the fact that she had double digit, an average of double digit, double faults in a in, in matches. Like, it's hard She's to imagine. Half the game away. You're giving half, giving the, game half away the game away <laughs> every single time. Like, it's crazy. So I feel like... Um, for me, the Arena Sabalenka story was just so, so wonderful. Um, and I loved uh, Geary in our newsletter this week talked about how she visited a biomechanical specialist. And kind of she to your did, point, I, saw it. I want oh, that I person. It. How can I get this guy for my forehand? I need that. I watched. Oh, yeah. You, that could take a year or two. That's um, fine. I get time. <laughs> he worked on, I can tell you in Cincinnati when I was there with Sam, when I was on the side courts, you know, off off site. There's an off site practice site. She was over there working with him, and I mean, they were tinkering with their hand position, with their elbow wow. position, with the ball position. With uh, it was unbelievable how much because she was just like, "What can I do to make this better?" And he was not in Australia, and I don't think she's working with him anymore. But you know, because there's only so much you can do paralysis by analysis. And and uh, you know, the one thing that's notable is that her second serve kicker, which she never had before, she would just go for. A, a slower or a little bit slower. <laughs> yeah, totally. Serve, second she, serve. she had two um, for serves, basically. <laughs> and that that has really helped that really helped her um, you know, get the serve in the court and feel like she could do it. So anyway, I just want to praise um Arena Sabalenka and she's finally through that nightmare semifinal couple of losses to be able to step up in the greatest of ways and play one of the greatest matches I've ever seen by two players. I want to give Rabakina her her flowers as well. Just incredible a match from her. She's young. She's only going to get better. Her forehand needs to improve. She really struggles hitting it down the line. So it's a you know it, it, it's a work in progress with this young woman, and she's I'm really excited con- to see her backing up her Wimbledon win, which was yeah. deserved with a really really incredible tournament. Like I love so much when players are able <clears> to put it together that way and continue to improve and get that experience under their belt because what 
to me, results is you get good tennis. Like one of the things I was so disappointed about, it was phenomenal to watch Ons Jibber last year. Phenomenal. My Syrian family were losing their minds that a player from the Arab world was, you know, just all the reasons she's compelling. She's fun. She's awesome. I do think her not having played a final for a grand slam before going into that Wimbledon final really hurt her because she freaked out mentally and it took her a set to even show up against Iga in the U S open. You know, she got outplayed in the U S open. I don't want to take anything away from Iga, but to me, Anza's lack of experience in those grand slam finals was a result. The result was nerves and her inability to kind of show up and really play her best tennis. And I think what I like about Rabakina and now hopefully Sabalenka is just this idea that they've been there. And so what we get as a treat as viewers is we get to see better tennis. Nothing is more dispiriting to me than watching one player just be able, like fall apart. It's tough. It's really tough to watch. I do want to point out also, because we were talking about um, Novak Djokovic and Serbian nationalism at the top. I think it's awesome that fans travel. They're loud. They support their guy. I have never loved the nationalism angle in tennis. I don't love it. I, you're, you, most of these players live in Florida or Monaco or, you know, Switzerland or someplace that's sort of neutral anyway. And the idea that like, you would cheer for a player. And again, I know Ash Barty having not uh, delivered an Australian open title since Yvonne Goolagong is a huge deal in front of a home crowd. So I'm not at all saying Australians shouldn't have their favorites or U.S. open it shouldn't be, you know, sort of American centric. I get that French, whatever. But I do think like what's amazing about a final like we just had in the women's side is like you said, people are cheering for great tennis. And that to me is really the best part imaginable. It's you can't believe that you're watching this match and these two players are just competing to see who can play better and who's going to come up with better shots. And that to me is like the actual absolute pinnacle of what our sport can be and do. And it doesn't have anything to do with the flags that are next to their name or, you know, you know, uh, how loud the crowd is. You know what I mean? Speaking of parochial crowds. Yes. uh, There was no, I mean, the Sabalenka story and, uh, and match and everything was worthy of the story of the tournament. But for me, the story of the tournament was the absolute, crushing of every top men's doubles team by a team from Australia that have never played together before. Okay. A 21 year old Australian kid in rinky dinky do. Okay. (laughs) Rinky Hitchikata playing with Jason Kubler, who has gone through hell and back with injuries was a really touted young player. And he's starting to play really good singles again and join up and get into the Australian Open, I believe on a wild card, and win the tournament. And they beat everybody. And they thrashed everybody. And if you don't like watching Rinky play, you are, there's something wrong with you. Because this kid <laughs> brings more electricity. Yeah. He was returning the ball down the line, cross court. Wherever you want me to hit it, I can hit it. I've never seen a kid play so good. And can we just go back? And if you, speaking of, you know, go back and watch this and that, go back and watch the match point of the men's doubles. It was the most crazy ridiculous point I've ever seen to win a Grand Slam. Rinky's on his ass hitting forehands. Jason's like reflexing balls back that he should have already won the point on a volley on top of the net. It was unbelievable. And then to, to lose the match, the guy hits the worst forehand chipper I've ever seen long. That match to me was unbelievable. And that match point was truly one of the greatest match points to win a Grand Slam I've ever seen. I, uh, I'm going to say something a little bit uncharitable here because I feel like we've given him lots of love and also like some, some deserved, um, 
feedback. Nick Curious pulling out of the tournament. Sure, he's injured. He played an exhibition anyway, whatever. Well, he had surgery, so come on. Telling everybody that he's the only bop popcorn draw in tennis and da 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 da. And being a like clout cheerleader for Novak Djokovic is really deeply uncool. Seeing another Australian pair win it this year was so sweet and satisfying because <laughs> it just got for me an introduction to new. I mean, Rinky won a set off Nadal a couple of years ago, and everyone was sort of introduced to him. So I'm not trying to act like he's not uh, on some people's minds, but having that big, amazing moment in front of a home crowd with Kubler, to me, that was one of the best stories in the whole tournament. I'm oh. so glad you watched it. I'm glad that you are calling it out. To me, you know, Didi DeGroote winning in wheelchair singles, you know, her ninth straight slam. Like, there was just so many amazing stories like that to me that were so rad. And I want to just also put a little light on the mixed doubles because um, Stefani, uh, Luisa Stefani from Brazil and her Brazilian uh, partner won the mixed doubles. Well done beating Sonia Mirza in her last ever uh, Grand Slam appearance. Sonia Mirza has been a great player for a long time. And so it was nice to see her back in another fight. It was kind of similar to what Sam Stoser was doing the year before making, you know, the Australian Open Grand Slam final in mixed and Wimbledon mixed doubles. Um, but, uh, Luisa Stefani did not play the women's doubles because Katie McNally pulled out at the last minute. Ooh. So it was, she was unable to find a doubles partner. So when you're a doubles only specialist, you rely so heavily on the money you're making at Grand Slam. And so when her partner pulled out at the last second, there was a lot of drama going on at, on that day. And we actually, Sam Stoza and I ran into Luisa um, Stefani when it happened. She was really sad. I yeah. mean, really sad and felt so sorry for her. For her to go on and win the mixed doubles was such a great story. It's little things like that that people don't know about. So to win her first Grand Slam title, she's such a nice kid. She had ACL surgery a year and a half ago or maybe going at the US Open when she tore it in the women's doubles. And I think the quarters of the women's doubles and then was out an entire year and came back last year and has won a couple of tournaments. She's a great kid, great doubles partner, player. So for her to win the mixed doubles, well done to her. And of course, Krajikova and Shinyakova. I mean, come I on. I mean, they're they just, just keep winning grand slams. So dominant. Those <clears throat> Czech women are not who I'd want to see in a draw. Shout out, I should say. Um, it was very fun to see Shuko Ayama and Aina Shibahara in the final against them. But I mean, yeah. when you get to the finals of a women's double slam match, you do not want to see <laughs> those guys across the net from you. Because if there's little check flags next to their name, you don't have much of a chance. I mean, obviously, I know a little bit about playing with, you know, a just pretty a dominant uh, partnership. You just they're they're so in tune with one another. The way they play, they're very strategic. They play the same point over and over, and no one's worked out how to break that code. Um, um, and they remind me a little bit of back in the day of um, Paula Suarez and um, Virginia Rana Pasquale, who were the first real doubles team that combined from the back of the court. Um, I remember Lisa Raymond and I played them for the first time and we were like, oh, wait, they play back? Oh, they've got no chance. Like, we're going <laughs> to kill them. Right. <clears throat> you know, and then we realized, oh, no, they, they're actually really good from the back of the court. They use the lob. They do all these sort of things. And, of course, they dominated and they won many, many, many Grand Slams um, during my time. And they were the first to really do it. And these guys play very similarly to them, <clears throat> but in a, a little bit of a different way. But 
um, yeah, kudos to them. This is just incredible run that they're going on the last few years in doubles. And they've been playing doubles together since they're about 13. So it shows. For them it shows. They're in like in the same brain. I mean, it, yeah, it makes sense. Like they have such yeah. a wonderful. Yeah. So wait, we forgot to ask and then I'll let you go because I uh, you got a flight to catch back to America here in a, another little bit of time and I've got to go put somebody to bed. Who won the old farts? Who won the exhibition doubles? <laughs> You count who wins and loses, Caitlin. We just count who didn't injure themselves the most. I know they give a trophy. <laughs> they gave one to Daniela Hentikova and Agnieszka Gorodwanska. But what people need to do understand is that <laughs> we play on a we play on a timeline. So, for example, they say you got to be off the court by X. So you know, whoever's ever winning at that time, you kind of throw a couple of games to make sure we're off the court. Did um, you so get injured? Uh, no, my shoulder's uh, stuffed still, um, but I had a good time. I got to play mixed doubles with the Pooh, with Philippusis against one of my, you know, I loved Marcus Bagdadis, and so to play against him and, um, you know, play again, be back on the court with my old doubles partner, Cara Black, is just, I don't know, we just, when we've let go of the competitive spirit and, the, you know, what we all went through playing together and playing against each other, and we just love seeing each other. So it was a, it's a, just a great couple of weeks for all of us to, to hang out and play some tennis together. So anyway, listen, it was an amazing Australian Open. Um, it was so great to have all the crowds back. It's the most people that have come into the Australian Open ever in history, and That's it is amazing. the most attended, the most attended Grand Slam in the world, okay, wow. ahead of all of the others, which I know you find incredible, but – Tennis Australia have done so many amazing things. You would love it down here, Caitlin. You should bring Peter down. They have this thing called the the kids' ballpark where you have, you know, they go, they have water slides, they yeah. have like, you know, the 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 climbing trees. I was and, gonna say if there's anything know, you, that you could call a splash zone, you've got them sold. The splash zone is all I need to hear. That kid loves splash zone, climbing zones, like it's just like a fun park for kids. So you can bring your kids, they can watch a bit of tennis, then they can go and have a bit of fun. You know, you can go to a bar at a beach that they've set up. I mean, it's just the Tennis Australia people and, and, and the Australian Open in, 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 its, in and of itself have done an amazing job to make this not just a tennis event, but an actual carnival of fun. Well, I do want to tell you, you did a really phenomenal job. Your commentary was exquisite. Hearing you, particularly in the women's final, was a treat and Thank you were you, appreciated. And you're missed here. So get back on a plane and get back here so we can uh, raise a glass. I will. Got to get back to my show, The Power Hour, which you hosted incredibly well for a week, and I appreciated I that. I was getting up at 5.15 in the morning to, to host <laughs> it from here the second week, but uh, I loved every bit of it because nobody loves tennis like you and me, Caitlin. So everybody, thanks for tuning in to us. I hope you all aren't going to be too sad. We've got about a few more months to get to the French Open, which is Caitlin's favorite, and uh, we will be back on the red clay, but we will be back, of course, in the next few weeks to tell you more stuff. Maybe I'll get a couple of interviews now that I'm home. Thanks for joining us, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.